The sheriff and two detectives have countless years of experience investigating violent crimes, murders, rapes, robberies, and now they have a television show on the Investigation Discovery Channel, and they're coming up. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Calling us from the great state of Texas, we have three people on the phone. They're the stars of the television show Lone Star Justice, which is on Investigation Discovery Channel Wednesday nights at 10 o'clock Eastern. And by the way, they're from Smith County, Texas. We have on the phone Sheriff J.B. Smith, Detectives Pamela Dunklin, and Joe Rasco. Thanks so much for joining us on the Law Today Show. Oh, it's our Thank pleasure. You. Yeah. It's good to have you all here. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to brothers and sisters in law enforcement and to have conversations uh, that people don't get to hear about in news media traditionally. We know they don't do a great job telling our story. So I, I believe the Law Enforcement Today Show is a perfect platform for people to hear straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But the other thing about it's exciting about talking to you three is you've gone from a career in law enforcement. Now you're, you're big shot television stars. How does that happen? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, with that and about $5, you can go to Starbucks and get a, get a cup of coffee. You know, it's, it's, things don't change much for us country folk. No, well, it's funny because people think when I retired from police work and then started pursuing a career in radio, they thought automatically that I was a filthy rich and I was a celebrity. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. What it means is I work really hard. Right. Yeah, you bet. It seems like the, the harder we work, the wealthier we get, right? Yes, that's the way it's supposed to work, <laughs> but, uh, but it doesn't seem to be that way, right? Well, you, yeah, you bet, yeah. But, you know, we're, we're, we're so appreciative of you uh, being interested in us. Uh, we're, we're trying to get used to... The, all the publicity and the you know attention. yeah attention that we're getting we we were used to attention as law enforcement officers but it was a different type yeah and uh, you know, hopefully hopefully this is going to be successful that the public will like it well we've had a chance on this show to interview Rod Demery who's a star of one of the shows and he's a Shreveport a retired Shreveport detective yeah uh, we've had I uh, love him. Ralph Friedman uh, who's a retired NYPD on the show we had the producers and a couple of uh, police from Homicide City on the show and I think what's really amazing about it is it's one thing to watch these television shows and my wife and I do we watch that channel quite a bit and I'll go into reasons why in a moment but then to talk about the actual law enforcement experience that went behind these investigations and the show shows a story wrapped up in one hour and they do a really good job of portraying it and you and i all know that it takes a lot longer than that and a lot of times you lose sleep for days uh, or months or years years yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we we have one case that's going to be on this episode that what was it joe about 20 it took us uh five years to solve that's one of the things too the common misconceptions that people don't see it rest right away they think that the police aren't doing their job and we've forgotten about it. We've moved on to something else. And that really is the furthest thing from the truth. Yeah, that's right. And this, this happened to be a cold case. And as you well know, that uh, sometimes those things turn into monsters. 
Yeah, so the case was actually uh, really, what, 1980s? Yeah, 1982. So, but when Joe got it, um, so you started working on it, and it took you five years. It took me five yeah. years to so, solve the case, yeah. yeah. What yeah. time did you pick it back up? What year was it that you started reinvestigating it? It was 27 years after the fact, I can tell you that. Yeah. These things are hard enough to investigate when they're fresh. When you get there right away, witnesses don't want to give you information if there are any. You don't have perfect crime scenes. You don't always have the evidence you need. You bang on doors. You talk to people. You do old gumshoe police work, the, the stuff that I was raised on. And sometimes it works out, and other times it doesn't. So to pick it up 27 years later and then try to investigate it, how, how does one even start that? Well, it was interesting. I got a call as sometimes we do as you well know from a family member and it was a cold call they just happened directed to me that's how i got involved in it and as you know 25 years before they didn't keep records like we keep today and i didn't start with much unfortunately to make a long story kind of short I spent most of the time in an evidence room down in a dungeon i call it we were stationed in an old hotel in downtown Tyler, and uh, it was like the catacombs, and I spent months and months of my time, when I could, not working on other cases, as you well know, going down there 30 minutes at a time, sometimes hours at a time, looking through boxes that were not labeled from the 19, early 1980s. So that's what took the majority of my time in the five-year period was that, um, uh, believe it or not. Were you able to eventually effect an arrest? I was. The uh, individual involved in this case was, in fact, a serial killer. It's very ironic, and I want people to watch the show, and I'll tell you real quickly as I can how this evolved, because I think it's very interesting, is I was down in the basement looking through boxes months and months and months later i looked over in the corner and there was a paper sack grocery sack mm-hmm. and i went over there and started rummaging through this sack after virtually years of looking through evidence and it was i don't even know how to describe it the sexual assault kit from this murder was in that paper sack along with probably five or six other boxes of evidence from unrelated cases it was surreal. That's what you call dedication. That's not the, the glamorous thing we see on these television shows. I'm not talking about the, the true crime-based ones that you all do on Investigation Discovery Channel. I'm talking about the ones we see that are Hollywood creations. And, and so much of investigations and police work is not exciting. It's dull. It's boring. It's monotonous. And you really got to stay, show perseverance and stick with it. Yes, sir. That that's true, and I, I you know, I, I tell my wife, and I tell all these folks here that I think had anybody else in our department gotten that case, they would have done the same thing. That's you know, most you know are. how we are. Uh, you know how the police are. Most are that way, and most are very dedicated, and most really, really want to do the best job possible. Once they get their teeth into it, they take it personal. It's like I got to solve this mm-hmm. no matter what, uh, and. The ones that bother me are the ones I never could solve, and I'm sure you have plenty of those. Uh, I don't want to ignore Sheriff J.B. Smith and Pamela Dunklin, the, uh, also a detective, stars of the show. Yeah. We're going to come back in a few moments. We're going to talk about 
the television show. We're going to talk about their careers. We're going to talk about one of the episodes in particular without giving away the details. And then we'll talk a little bit more about their law enforcement careers. We're going to take a short break. I promise you, we'll be right back. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. This portion of the radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page, where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. When you have a chance, be sure to go to our website, lawenforcementtoday.com, and download our free mobile app. We have a version for your Android and iPhone devices. It's 100% free. Get it at lawenforcementtoday.com. Back to our conversations with the stars of the television show. And it sounds funny to say that when you're talking to police. Stars of television and police. It does. It feels very weird. Sheriff J.B. Smith, uh, police detective, or sheriff's detectives, Pamela Dunklin and, and Joe Rasco. Uh, they are the stars of the television show Lone Star Justice from Smith County, Texas, which is located between Dallas. Look on, on Google, dude. That's how I know. It's located between <laughs> Dallas and Shreveport. And uh, Tyler is the county seat. I've heard of Tyler, Texas, and population right about 228,000 people. So it's a good size area. And uh, Sheriff Smith, you had a long, illustrious career. And we'll get into some of that in a moment. But how did you wind up teaming up with uh, these two crack detectives, Pamela Dunklin and Joe Rasco? Well, the, Joe was the first one I found. Uh, Joe is a retired lieutenant colonel, uh, a pilot, uh, flew C-130s in the Air Force. I did not know, and I had over 300 employees, so we were constantly looking for people to promote out of the uh, detention officers out on the street to be patrolmen. And that's the way I did most of mine, because I like for mine, I would rather hire new personnel, start them in the jail, let them learn what the detention world is about before I put them on the street. And it gives them a basic background of what happens instead of just bringing a prisoner in and dumping them. Uh, you, you're aware of what goes on behind the scenes in, the, in, a, in a jailhouse. So we're looking at applications out of the jail, and, and uh, my chief deputy says, Sheriff, you're not going to believe this, but uh, we've got a retired Air Force colonel working in the jail. And I said, what? Yeah, that's what I would say, too. So we, what? We called him over immediately. I haven't brought over. And I said, what are you doing as a colonel, retired colonel out of the Air Force, flying C-130s over 10,000 hours. What are you doing at a jailhouse? And he said, well, there's two things I always wanted to do. I wanted to be a truck driver and see what that was like, driving 18-wheelers, and I wanted to be in law enforcement. So I tried truck driving. I got that behind me. Now I want to be a police officer. So needless to say, he went on a fast track. Uh, I've got a man here who is... Very analytical, you can imagine, with all those hours behind the, the stick of a C-130. 
And so I was very impressed with him. He was very, very diligent. His uh, attitude was absolutely great. Then when I met Pam, she was in the dispatch. And I happened to walk in one evening, and Pam had two 911 calls going. She was dispatching to a patrol unit. And then I walk up behind her. And so now she got the pressure of the sheriff standing behind her. She's, she's trying to dispatch, trying to handle 911 calls. And I thought, hey, this lady is good. So short end of the story, we got, I got both of them on the fast track. And uh, she could handle pressure. She was also analytical. She loves to just nitpick something to death. I mean, she just does. And I like that. So now the combination of the three of us, when it comes to homicide, we've got two that are not only uh, dedicated to law enforcement in general, but both of them are just dedicated to clearing cases to help the victim and the families. Because as you know, when a homicide occurs, there are literally hundreds of tentacles just going out every direction. That every one of them has to be followed up. And I, we want the public to know through this series that this is not like CSI Miami, CSI New Orleans. We, we don't have the luxury of just working one case. Uh, these officers sometimes had numerous cases that they were working along with the murder case. Now, of course, we concentrated in the first 24 to 48 hours very heavily on these murder cases. Yeah. I mean, that's, we just did. Everybody, it was, it was all men on deck. Yeah, that's that's common practice. Because after that, your chances of solving it, I, I know this from watching that television show, also from police work, the evidence disappears, it dries up, people don't want to talk anymore. So the first 48 mm-hmm. hours is crucial. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very crucial. That first 24 to 48 hours is just sometimes can make you or break you. So having these two on board, and I laughingly tell people, uh, personally, as a sheriff, being more of an administrator, I couldn't track a bleeding elephant in the snow. But... <laughs> But, At least you can admit but, that. A lot of people I yeah. met can never do that, especially the higher up a rank they get. They're like, oh, they know it all. So my hat's off to you for saying that. Oh, I, 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 listen, I, I wouldn't have a, I wouldn't know where to start. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and so, and so these two could handle it. And and I think they'll both admit to you that I never ever put pressure on them for anything. The only thing I did was kept the public advised, which oftentimes certain certain agencies are a little reluctant to trust the media, and rightfully so. Yeah. But I had a good relationship with most of the media here. Three three television stations, a major newspaper, Dallas Morning News came over and covered us quite often. But I let these two do their thing, send them to the best schools available, mm-hmm. got whatever equipment I could buy for them that they needed, and I turned them loose. And that's how things worked. Well, Joe started homicide before I did. So when I moved to homicide, I was actually... Uh, after a after 911, and then a sh- very short time on patrol, a civil position came open. Uh, so I was moved to the civil division, which I really didn't care for. But I was also uh, in the same uh, on the same floor as criminal investigation, homicide guys, burglary guys, and. Um, I guess at the time that I might, I was a lot more interested in what they were doing than, than the civil division because I thought that was pretty boring, actually. So um, I was assigned a case, really, uh, my first one back in, homicide case back in 2001. And I remember it's really because everybody else was so busy, and I, I think the captain's like, okay, can you handle this case? It was 
not a not a complicated case. We already knew who the suspect was. And then from there, uh, I think uh, they decided, well, you know what? I, I think she can do this job. And so Lucky Joe got stuck with me. <laughs> and so he was my teacher, my mentor. And uh, so I followed him around uh, and learned from Joe how to be a good homicide detective. And that's the way police work really is taught. I mean, I learned a lot in the academy. I thought I knew what was going on when I, when I graduated and went on the streets. I really had no idea. And I was 21 years right. old. Going back to Joe, being an Air Force veteran, I was trained, of course, I, I came on in 1980, so I'm a dinosaur uh, by a lot of people's <laughs> standards. But, you know, I was trained by Vietnam veteran, combat veterans that were really, really good at policing. They understood how to, to police and be involved in the community and, and be respectful and how to handle violent crime and violent criminals and, and keep things as calm as possible. And we even had some of our commanders and really old timers who were Korean war veterans. And they passed down that information, just like you're talking about with Joe. I'm, I'm fast forwarding here. It's very much on the job training. You can learn a lot in the academy. You can learn a lot dispatching, but man, until you go there and, and you have to touch that dead body and start gathering evidence and piecing it together, it's a totally different story. But correct. And, and I think, and too, one of the things with, with Joe and I, you know, we had, uh, we were older when we got into law enforcement uh, as opposed to like you when you started very young. I was like a bald-faced yeah, so baby. I, I really, I look back now and go, I was skinny. I had really clean uniforms. <laughs> they were pressed all the time. I was in great shape. <laughs> Ten years later, I had, a, I had a bulge over my belt and mustard stains on my shirt. and That was different. But, but being, being older still... Uh, while we were more mature and could, you know, had some life experiences uh, as opposed to maybe some of, uh, or more life experiences as opposed to some of our younger counterparts, it's still, uh, I was never prepared. It's like you don't know really what you're getting into. You think you know, but until you've actually done that job, experienced, as you well know, that this job, you, I, you really don't know what you're getting into. Absolutely and, not. Uh, yeah. You're 100% yeah. correct. I want to say this. Two misconceptions that I had for many, many years, and a lot of people I know listening do. One is you, you think that violent crime only happens in big cities, and that's not the case. Secondly, in, in these smaller departments, in sheriff's departments, you think are more rural, you think they got it easy. Well, those men and women, they have to handle every aspect of law enforcement that comes down the pike. When, when the big cities, you have a dedicated homicide team, then you have dedicated robbery teams and criminal uh, crime scene evidence investigators. These men and women have to do it all. They have to be very proficient in every aspect of law enforcement yeah. and still do things like handle calls. We're talking with the stars of the television show, Lone Star Justice on Investigation Discovery Channel. We'll be right back. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. Discover the exciting world of podcasts at hefepods.com. From captivating stories to life advice and much more. 
there's a podcast for every interest and passion. Be entertained by your favorite radio personalities in both English and Spanish. Don't waste any more time. Find a great English or Spanish language podcast to follow and discover a world of possibilities in your own language. Find the best podcasts at chefepods.com. conversation with we have three people on the phone calling us from smith county texas they are career law enforcement officers you've got uh, sheriff jb smith you have sheriff's detectives pamela dunklin and joe rasco and they're also stars and we've been laughing about this off the air they're stars of the television series lone star justice which is on the investigation discovery channel one of my favorite channels at 10 p.m eastern time wednesday nights uh joe i want to turn the conversation to you first of all it's kind of a amazing story when when sheriff smith talked about you you're retired lieutenant colonel from united states air force and you wanted to be a truck driver which you did and then you wanted to be a police which you did and you wound up working in corrections and I know a lot of sheriff's departments start their people in corrections, which I think is great. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I'm the right personality for it. And then to, to, to say, oh, my jailer is a, a, a retired U.S. Air Force officer, just something about that equation doesn't mesh right, doesn't seem right. <laughs> well, you think I had it tough. You ought to look across the table uh, at my partner. You know this business. There are not a lot of females in this business, and there wasn't. We haven't been retired that long, but there even back then there wasn't that many females in the business. Period. Right. Much less homicide detectives. And I think what the people when they watch these six shows, and they're going to see Pamela at work, it's going to be really something different. Some of the best police I worked with were women. And back in the early 80s, I'm so old, we were carrying revolvers and nightsticks, and we had, we had mace that only worked on innocent bystanders and police. So that's what we were, we were issued. So back in the day. So now I talk to police, they've got tasers, they got this, they got pepper spray, and they've got you know, computers in their car. And I'm like, we were like writing a report so hard to go through all these uh, copy sheets that... Uh, it, it's a totally different world. But we had, back then, we had women. We had women of every race. We had men of every religion. We had all racial backgrounds in police work. We we had men who were gay. We had women who were lesbian. And none of us cared. None, right. We're like, if you do your job, if I need help, if I'm in a battle, if all you can do is grab a hand, then, then grab a hand. And some of the biggest, most muscular guys I met were the most fearful and some of the most courageous police I've ever met were the smallest, tiniest women. Uh, it there's, there's no rule, contrary to what people believe, there's no rule about gender stereotypes in policing. And and it's not about no, being John Wayne and, and duking it out with everybody. It's just, that's not the way it is. I had a partner when I was with the Tyler Police Department in the early 70s and talking about old times, this guy six foot four, weighed about two hundred eighty five pounds, and he was scared of vampires. <laughs> well, thank God you didn't get calls for vampires, right? Well, we didn't go into graveyards either. He at night, he uh, he would hurt you. 
He <laughs> <laughs> was it was uh, quite comical, but you didn't make fun of him because he was uh, six foot four. Yeah, and I mean, probably lump you up if you gave him too hard of a time. And that's one thing we did a lot, yeah. we, and I don't know about your department, but we really and I missed this so badly when I retired was that uh, the camaraderie, the the bond that we had with each other. Uh, and my my wife at the time would go, "You guys are so vicious with each other." I mean, we were <laughs> we were unmerciful with the. The insults and it was all done in a tongue-in-cheek and fun manner. We played practical jokes right. on each other. We went to our weddings together. We had cookouts and barbecues, fishing. It was everything. We lived and worked with these people as much as we could, and I missed it tremendously. I don't know if they still do that or not. I, I don't know if it's if the friendships that we acquired back years ago still are prevalent today. And and but I think it's because of the job itself, and you know with the experience you have, there is no job in the world like what these people do. You know, when I went from being a regular police officer to administration, I really had a hard time with that. But if I wanted to climb the ladder, I had to continue to do that. And but my favorite times was riding uh, evening patrol. And the friendships that I made during that period of time, I'll never lose. And the memories memories I still talk about today when mm-hmm. I travel around the country speaking. It's about those shootouts and Keystone Cop events that, mm-hmm. you know, everything went downhill and you managed to survive anyway. Uh, the memories that we make in law enforcement, I don't think any other occupation in the world could match them. I, I agree. It's hard to describe to people that aren't, you know, law enforcement it's like I've only been out five years. Sometimes it feels like I've been out 15. But, you know, for at least two years, I mean, it took me two years to, and I, I, don't, think I'll enti- I don't think I'll ever entirely let it go, uh, but it took me two years to recreate myself or figure out, okay, what do I want to be now? Uh, because I mean, you know how much of yourself you give to that job, yeah. and uh, it's, it's hard to leave it and 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 move on and for me you know it, it took about two years to really uh decide it you know it's okay somebody else can do that job you you know you're still young enough go do something else uh always stays with you well one of the things that, that i struggled with when i retired i got hurt and was re- retired at the age of 33 so i was very young and yeah. uh, after multiple surgeries if you're done now what do i do and I had no yeah. idea. That's all I felt I knew. And then being the financial situation the way it was with the retirement, I thought it'd be an easy street, but I wasn't. I had to work at little kids. So I did sales. I did this. I did that. And I found out, A, that the private business sector loves police. They, they, they see the talents that we have when we don't see them ourselves. And so much what you do in, in law enforcement uh, is always an example sales everybody's been in law enforcement for a long period of time is doing sales you sell people options a very good example you got a guy in his corner it's a domestic situation and you get the call okay joe here's your options a you can leave and go enjoy the rest of your weekend and come back maybe tomorrow when you've sobered up or b you can go to jail with me and if if you want to <laughs> yeah. fight me there'll be plenty of other police here to help me bring you to jail so you're going to go what's your choice and that's basically sales so i understand what you mean it took a lot of work to transition and find out who and what i wanted to do mm-hmm. so well, how did I'm you not done yet. how did you i was gonna say how did you go from that to being 
television stars. That's the part that still blows my mind. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's something we're not, and you you know it. Pam and I are not used to the limelight. You know, we we operated in the stealthy part of things. Yeah. And we were happy there. And we were happy there. <laughs> You know, the, sh- the sheriff knows about all this media attention, and we're not used to it. Right. Uh, because he handled the media for us. And let me, let me just say this about the sheriff. We worked a fair amount of pretty high-profile cases that got, you know, national attention. But uh, one of the things the sheriff did for us is when he did these press conferences and talked with the media, he always came to us first and asked, what can I say? And we told him what we thought he could say and not jeopardize these cases. Mm -hmm. And over the years that I've worked for him, he never, ever disappointed us. Mm -mm. And And you know, like you said a while ago, sometimes these folks get in positions of uh, authority and they tend to forget that. Absolutely. And, and he never did. So that was one of the things that made me the proudest of him. Well, those are, uh, those are great um, commendations to hear people say things like that because quite often we don't hear that when we talk about upper command staff with uh, police departments, sheriff departments, and the old line of uh, thinking is that the further up someone goes in police administration, the, the further they get away from what it's like to be a street police. So we're going to take a short break. We're talking with stars of the Investigation Discovery Channel television show. We'll be right back. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. I'm John J. Wiley, joined on the phone by Sheriff J.B. Smith, Sheriff's Detectives Pamela Dunklin, and Sheriff's Detective Joe Rasco. I believe they're all retired from law enforcement now. They are on the television show Lone Star Justice on Investigation Discovery Channel on Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you're from Smith County, Texas. At first, I didn't think I knew where that was. I didn't think I knew anything about it. And then, I, of course, I Googled it. And I saw, oh, I know Tyler. I, I, I've heard of that. And I believe somewhere in the back of my mind, and when I watch Investigation Discovery Channel, a lot of times a show will come on about an episode. Oh, I remember that on the news. There was something on the news maybe 10, 15 years ago that happened in Smith County, and a, a prominent case that had national attention. Are, and I can't think of what it is. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, there's been several. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've, we've had numerous cases. We had um, a number of years ago, and Joe worked this case, and, and I'm, um, I'm so sad that we had to face this, but we had a woman that killed her children. It was a, they called it a religious experience, but uh, it was very trying on us, the, the entire staff, you know, to see that kind of thing happen. 
Uh, we had a, a case called Michael Tabb that killed. He was a preacher mm-hmm. that uh, was in the military, uh, got out and killed his wife. And I've written a book about that. And uh, that's been on national. That's been on Dateline. It's been. It's made national coverage on numerous occasions. And then we had a little girl that killed her mother and daddy on Christmas Eve. Um, no history of any violence. No history of uh, abuse. And it was. It was quite the case. And. Uh, Joe and Pam were involved in uh, pretty much all of these. So, yeah, we've made national headlines on more than one occasion. And that's not the kind of stuff that anybody wants. And, and, and you know, crimes inv- involving children, uh, especially when they're murder victims at the hands of their parents, I've always had a tough time with that. I'm haunted by a lot of those things, and I've never understood them. And people today will ask me, why do people do that? I, I don't know. I remember being a young police and being really upset about something and an old timer, uh, again, he's a military veteran, and he said, listen, if you try to make sense out of things that are totally nonsensical, they're illogical, you're gonna drive yourself insane. Uh, Some of these you just have to go, there's some evil people out there, and it's your job to protect everybody else from them, and that's the reality. Yeah, and and you know, running one of the biggest jails in Texas, uh, the last year I was there, I booked in over 13,000 people because we held federal prisoners, state prisoners, uh, we were we are kind of the hub of East Texas, and running that jail, it was amazing. I never, ever met any of them that thought they were going to get caught. The prisoners, yeah, exactly. And they they never, you know, no, no, they didn't never thought about incarceration. Uh, it's you know, so when people say to me, "Well, that didn't make any sense. Why would they do that?" Well, of course not, because. Most of these people are stupid to begin with, mm-hmm. and they don't even think about getting caught. And most of the murders, the reasons why they commit the murders are over the smallest, trivial things. It's not life-shattering stuff. You brought the wrong brand of beer, and a, a fight yeah, starts, exactly. and then you kill each other. Yeah, you can't make sense out of that. Yeah. But yeah, I, we, I was fortunate enough to not have to work very many child cases um, we we had dedicated officers for that, but uh, but there were cases that I, I had to work. Um, uh, one I can remember in particular. It was not a homicide, but it was probably one of my first child cases, and it was a five-year-old uh, little boy with cerebral palsy, and he had bruises all over him. And I remember that was probably one of the first times that um, normally I would uh, keep keep it. In, keep control yeah. talking to the suspect. But I remember being so angry um, that someone could put bruises all over a child uh, in that condition. And say before that, I remember walking into Joe's office, and he probably doesn't remember this, but I said, I'll give you $1,000 to take this case. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no. And, uh, but afterwards, I, I don't cry much, but, and certainly not back then. Uh, you just you don't have time for that. No. But I went into his office and uh, Joe, Joe and I went in there and I started crying. I've done Joe, that too. Said, I've done that in uh, patrol car, yeah. and it's yeah, it come apart, it, and it just comes yeah. out of nowhere. Something. And to be honest with you, it, I get that way periodically from time to time now, and it comes out of absolutely yeah. nowhere. And it's not long lived; it's very short. But it's I call it right. blue sadness. It's from all that stuff yeah. we experienced. Yeah, I'm I'm finding that that out more now that I, I'm what, you know, you're removed from it, uh, then it starts to come back because it's like, it, it's time to process it. Whereas when you're doing the job, you don't have time. Right. So yeah, I understand what you're saying. 
So here's the, the $64 million question. Was it difficult to make the transition from working in law enforcement to all of a sudden you're in front of a television camera and you're taking directions from producers and directors and all that? How, how does one do that? <laughs> yeah, I'll go first. Uh, was it difficult? I, I, I will say the, the very first day was uncomfortable, not difficult, just because I really was unsure of how the process was going to go. After that, I, I, to be quite honest, I forgot the camera was there and it just, I started talking just about the cases and importance of other officers being involved in helping us solve those cases or us helping them solve cases. And, and it really was a, a really pretty easy process for, for all, I think that we talked about that, all of us, uh, Derek Creative, uh, the producers made it extremely easy for us. Well, now the hard part is going to be trying to live your life and go grocery shopping, go to the store, get some coffee. No. Joe, are you prepared for that? Are you know what's you're heading your way? You're like, hey, I know you from somewhere, and they'll go through the list. Uh, yeah. Oh, if somebody says that now, I'm like, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, did I put him in jail? Exactly. <laughs> well, you all are still living in the area where you policed, right? Yes. Yes, we are. Thinking about moving. That's see, I live I live in Florida, and and I did it in policing in Baltimore. And when I go back to Baltimore, I get very uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was personally uh, used to the media because we have uh, three television stations here and a major newspaper. Plus, the Dallas Morning News comes in, and at that time, they covered us extensively. There was someone looking at us constantly. Uh, they had reporters assigned to us, and they don't anymore because the newspapers are just about going broke. But right. I was used to the publicity, and I'm, I'm living proof. You don't have to be smart to be sure if you just get more votes. And and uh, the more you talk, you, the you more I like when you, Smokey man. The bandit came out. Yeah. Uh, okay, I won a Burt Reynolds lookalike contest, <laughs> and so I made I made, and now I'm a sex symbol of never nursing home in East Texas. Uh-huh. But, That's uh, awesome. But, but it, it was, uh, I, so I'm used to the media, and that was my job, to be the song and dance man for a group of, of people that were really good. I based my entire career around one thing. Uh, President Teddy Roosevelt said in 1901, he said, an intelligent administrator surrounds himself with intelligent people, point them in the direction you want them to go, and then leave them alone. And that's what I did. I never, ever, during that 17 years these two worked with me, did I have to say, okay, I want you to go do this, do that. They just did it. And, and you know, that's, that makes it so much easier for a guy that's a song and dance man to do that. But you all are now out of law enforcement, obviously. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of my service in law enforcement, but I look at what's going on today and I – I could not see myself doing the job. I probably would if I was younger again, young and dumb. How do you all feel about the current state of law enforcement nowadays? Would it be something you'd do again? I would do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, My son is a detective in uh, another location. Uh, He's actually been in the business two years longer than I was. So that's an interesting uh, dichotomy. Uh Uh-huh. But I, I want to get back real quick to the show aspect. Pamela kind of spoke for me. You know, she's my partner. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. But we wanted to make it clear to, to these people that did the show that this is not about us. 
you know, we're just the messengers for law enforcement. Everybody is out there doing this day after day, just like we do. That's right. That's right. And we wanted to get that message across that we work with the FBI, the U.S. Marshal Service, Tyler, the police department. And it was a joint effort in everything we did. And, and I think they've done a good job of doing that. We're just fortunate, fortunate enough in this position to be the mouthpiece for law enforcement and to highlight some of the things that law enforcement... Yep, because as professionals, professionals are all over the United States, from Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast, from Canada to the Mexican border. We uh, these, these people are so... Law enforcement officers just fascinate me today. They got to be today in society. You just about got to be more more intelligent than it was Absolutely. when I was coming up through it. Thank and you all so much for on. your There's service, and uh, thank you so much. I can't wait to see your television shows. Uh, this is Lone Star Justice, the name of the television show on Investigation Discovery Channel, Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, folks. Thanks so much for being on the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Good to be with you. Thank you. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.